0: And Welcome to the latest episode of Time of the Month and we are so happy to be back again after our wee break over Christmas and New Year. For those of you who are tuning in maybe for the first time, I'm Laura Dagen, and I'm one of the co-hosts of Time of the Month and joining me today is my co-host Linda Pollock and our guest today, Christine Collier who um, is part of the Sanctuary First community and over Christmas um, many of our community will have engaged with one of Christine's stories. So Linda how are you? I'm grand yeah I mean I know I'm getting old but time seems to be getting away
1: from me it's, but I'm really well. Terrible terrible that we had to close our churches at Christmas here up in the northeast. That uh, was just miserable um, on Christmas Day because I wanted to be with the people. And it's my first Christmas in this community. But, you know, you just get on with it because you look for the, the bigger picture and the better good. And since then, we got back to church two weeks ago and it's, it's lovely. It's just lovely being part of people's lives. Um, and it's, 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 an old, it's an old cliche, but it's true. And mo- mostly cliches are true, aren't they? That's why they're cliches. It's lovely to be part of people's lives. And I feel very, very privileged, and that's the cliche. I feel privileged, but it's true. Uh
0: huh. I think that's, and it was really difficult, you know, when we had these um, restrictions put on us again. You know, with the COVID rising.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, but it's it. There is that that benefit where I think you you appreciate each other more, don't you? You appreciate your community more, and you just long for the times whenever you're back together again, being able to worship the Lord and
1: just yeah, together? I think too, it's difficult because a big part, at least I think a big part of going to church is just practice and you get out of the practice so easily mm-hmm. and you tend to fill your Sundays then with other things. Um, I'm not criticising, I'm just simply making the observation that folk get out of the habit and my concern is, getting them back to church and how do we how do we remind them to whom that they belong and to meet with with God's people on a Sunday is a good thing. Maybe we need to do other not maybe I know we need to do other things as well. But I've got several folk who I visit and they've told me, oh, I don't think I'll go back to the church. It's just too much now on a Sunday morning. So we'll have to we'll have to just be creative and look for yes. to be church, to be the body of Christ together.
0: Uh-huh. And Christine, you are out in Switzerland. Could you tell our listeners a wee bit about yourself?
2: Well, hello, thank you for inviting me today. Yeah, so I'm based in Geneva, although I live just over the border in France. I go to the Church of Scotland in Geneva, and at the moment I'm I've just started training to be a reader in the Church of Scotland. So I'm on placement. <laughs> I'm in placement. Um, in the Lausanne church so I'm getting to know the congregation there some of whom I already knew because of Bible study with Sanctuary First so this Mm -hmm. having to go onto zoom and use the internet in many ways has brought the the world closer because I've met the people in the Lausanne church I've met you all through Sanctuary First and Mm -hmm. and here we are and I'm really delighted to be part of this show today
0: Oh, that's, that's really wonderful. And I'm, uh, I'm quite intrigued. What was it that, what kind of, you know, started your, your journey towards uh, readership?
2: Well, it was quite, um, it was quite interesting. I, my son left home. I'd been homeschooling him and I had been very involved in various teaching aspects in the church in Geneva. And I, I knew I wanted to continue this, so I, I did a master's in creative writing, which has got nothing to do with it, I know. But my stories more and more were becoming retellings of Bible stories, and and then it was it it was just right. It, it was uh-huh. just the time and. Amazingly, over the International Presbytery in Europe, there are about, oh I don't know, seven or eight of us who independently have applied to become voters or OLMs. So there is something happening.
0: Oh wow, yeah, God's really moving there, isn't it? Oh wow, that's just awesome. Uh-huh. Oh, and I'll be really um be, be really keen to continue to, to hear about your story, Christine. So I hope that you'll keep sharing that with us. Because I'm sure others within the Sanctuary First community will be interested in that too. Thanks. Mm-hmm. So um, so we are, uh, over the next couple of months, we are embarking on a theme for who we are going to be looking at um, in the time of the month. Because um, as you know, we, um, we look at um, the, the women of the Bible um, sometimes you know that sometimes the well-known women in the bible but also the women that are lesser known and I think for some um, these women that we're going to be looking at over the next few months or oh, maybe you know they might not know quite so much about so we are over the next few months going to be looking at the seven prophetesses of the old testament Linda who are these prophetesses? Well, in the Jewish tradition,
1: they're recognized as Sarah and Miriam and Hannah and Esther and Huldah and Abigail and Deborah. Have I left anybody out? I think you've said them all. <laughs> uh, imagine me remembering them all.
0: <laughs> oh, that was good.
1: <laughs> but, you know, seven. Sermon, the, the, that's the interesting number, isn't it, in the Hebrew culture, the number of... Yes. Uh, Perfections. Three is no three. Set resurrection. is Perfection. But I, I was looking up um, about these women, and it's really interesting that in the, the Midrash or the Talmud and the, the old Jewish uh, readings and reflections, the teachings of the the rabbis, there are only twenty-three righteous women.
0: <laughs> That's it. <And>, uh,
1: <laughs> yeah, twenty-three. Dear heavens. Um, so I, I think that that frames for is number seven, the number twenty-three. Just how mm-hmm. women are regarded, and not um, I'm not saying that they're not respected. I'm saying that they're um, they're they're put into a box, I believe, and mm-hmm. uh, the box is rather con, con, constrained and tight. Um, mm-hmm. And I think today we're we're going to look, if we can, at three of those women: Hilda,
0: Hilda, Abigail, and Miriam. Miriam, yes. So we're going to start with Miriam, who is probably the the most well-known of those three. Um, Could you tell us a wee bit about Miriam, Linda?
1: Well, yes. So if you want to look up about Miriam in the Bible, go to Exodus chapter 1 and 2 and then Exodus chapter 15. And what we we learn is that she's unnamed, actually, in in the chapters 1 and 2 of Exodus. But we know she's the big sister of Moses and the sister of Aaron. And what we learn is that she was by the River Nile, following the decree of Pharaoh, that all Hebrew newborns, newborn boys were to be drowned or or killed. She, her mommy, put Moses into the wee basket. We all know the story from childhood. And the basket made of reeds from the reed, the reeds of the river. And Miriam watched over Moses, and just to see what would happen to him if the wee basket floated away or In this case, Pharaoh, Pharaoh's daughter came and found him and she took him. And the the, the Midrash actually says very, very quickly, immediately, uh, Miriam went to the princess because the princess observed that he was a Hebrew boy, but she would have known because of his circumcision. And so Miriam said right away, well, I find a Hebrew nursemaid for him, which is really interesting because the Pharaoh's daughter, I don't think, would have cared either way especially in light of the fact that her, her father had said, kill them all. Um, but it was important that Miriam and started very quickly. I know uh, I'll get a Hebrew nursemaid, And of course, she went and got her mommy and Moses's mommy. And so there these strong women were nurturing the, the boy from from his infancy. So the next we hear about Miriam is in Chapter 15, when we hear that she's leading a dance. And I love that. All of it is dancing and having a good time and beating a drum because Pharaoh and his army have followed the children of Israel out of Egypt, and gone back in their promise to let them go free. They've gone through what we call the Red Sea, but it's known as the Sea of Reeds properly. And God has opened the sea, the children of Israel have crossed over it, and Pharaoh and his men come in the chariots. And of course, the water swallows them up again. And remember, in, in Hebrew culture, water represents immense fear and terror. It represents the underworld. So water is, is a fearful thing for the Israeli, Israel, children of Israel to go through. But they went through it because God told them to. And God parted the water. And then as a part of the, the victory song, she dances and sings, the horse and rider have been thrown into the sea. And there's there's, and that there's some commentators saying, well, Moses, Moses was doing that, not her. But I'll go with Miriam this time. And that's it in a nutshell. She's also famous for her well and for contracting leprosy as a punishment from God. But I'm sure we'll unpack this a bit further as we continue our conversation.
0: Yes. uh uh-huh. So, Christine, what were your what, what are your like initial thoughts about um Miriam? Whenever you were reading about her, what, what were your feelings about her? Because you're a writer and, and I thought that you would be quite, you know. You, you could get into your head.
2: Well, I didn't realise she was a prophet until you asked me to join this, this meeting. So I thought that that was interesting, that throughout my Sunday school and teaching growing up, I didn't know that she had that position. And I, I think she's they even say them when the the Jews celebrate the... Passover they say the three prophets who took us out of Egypt and Miriam is included there so somehow coming over to our Bible we we don't put that emphasis on her you know it's all Mm -hmm. it's all Moses and his brother helped him when he was stuttering it wasn't the sister doesn't get that look in so um I thought that that was interesting and then when she has the, when she's struck with leprosy, you know, why why did that happen? So mm-hmm. I I think my reading of it is that she was a bit jealous of Moses, because she says, "Didn't we prophesy as well? It wasn't just Moses doing all that." And and um, and God gives her a leprosy. It's not clear if he gives the leprosy to Aaron as well. So maybe maybe you know more about that. So those were the two things that struck me that I hadn't known. She had this status, if you like, as a prophet and that she was a bit jealous of Moses and, and God punished her for that. Do you have the same take as me? Well, I don't. You don't. On your go, right. <laughs> Um, I think some
1: of the research I was doing um, concluded that she... she Challenged Moses, Aaron and her both challenged Moses on his behavior with his wife Zipporah. And um, one of the feminist articles I read talked about her challenging Moses because he wasn't have wasn't having sexual relations with his wife. And the idea um was that she should have talked to Moses uh, to Zipporah about this. Um and, and not to Moses, because he, as the priest, according to the, the article, was being told by God to refrain from sexual relations as part of his holiness, which acts, which brings up a whole another question about sexuality and sexual relations and holiness, etc., etc., etc. Which is maybe for another day. But the article said that. He was told by God to remain be impure because as the priest, although Aaron was the priest, not Moses, yeah. but Moses had priestly, had priestly distinction to you, I would think. I'm not sure about that. Um, so so she was concerned for Zipporah and it wasn't as a result of being jealous. It was as a result of her concern for Zipporah. And the other part of the article talked about um, her understanding of leadership uh, was... That it was diverse there was Moses and Aaron and her male and female and I think when we we look at scripture we know who wrote it we know it was mm-hmm. ma- men wrote it and so there's a male attitude and what we I think women in particular we need to release our mind from 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 the idea that um it's in it's scripture so it must be perfect um It's scripture written by men, and hopefully the Spirit of God empowered those who were putting together the canon of scripture. But the people who write history um, always give their own subjective opinion. And in that culture, women were inferior. They were like teapots, they were just objects. Um, And the fact that she's given the status of prophet is wonderful, but they couldn't give her the glory of prophet. They had to bring her down a wee notch, which is what we find through our scripture with women. And even one of our other prophets, will learn about that as well today off have of time. So I, I don't know if there was jealousy. I, I try to spin the positive, Christine, and I would say there was hurt. Um, number one, she was criticizing Moses from a position of ignorance. That could have been dealt with if she'd gone about it differently. Um, number two, she was hurt that she didn't have the intimacy with God that Moses had. And at the end of the day, we all have different levels of intimacy with God. And God, I believe, um, offers all of us intimacy at whatever level we crave, if we're willing to do the, the work. And it may be that in those days, because Moses was so visual, so vocal, was the leader, and had done so many amazing things, it may be that she thought, um, she couldn't have that level of intimacy. So, so the hurt that she experienced because of her, what she maybe sensed as a less than Moses, which we all do all the time when we compare ourselves with each other, we always screw it up. Um, I, I, I think that it may, you may be right, it may have turned to jealousy, but I, I, I try to look at what's behind it because every choice and every decision we make in life is made from one of two places, love or fear. Mm-hmm. And so I would ask, what was her her love stance here? And her love stance would I think would have been with Zipporah. Why is he not taking, you know, why is he not loving me? Why is he not taking me to himself? Am I has he rejected me? Am I ugly? Am I no longer his love? And um, and then and the the fear would have been, why is he so intimate with God? Why has God not given me and, and Aaron what we want? You know, so uh
0: uh-huh. I know well, see. I had um, I've read a few different commentaries, and I think there is a wee bit of a bias. So, so like the the older ones and the kind of like have this, you know, this kind of male view. You know, you can see that that's you know like, a uh, I Moses was Moses was the man. You know, he was the man. He had the intimacy with God, and that and that uh, Maryam was a bit jealous and was being a bit subversive as well, and, and her challenge, which, you know, and I'm thinking, well, actually, why they're saying that, that that, that she's, you know, being subversive and why she's been, like, challenging this challenge is because she's a woman. But she had, if you think about, you know, this is, this is a woman who's been, like, creative and feisty, like, since she's been a girl, you know? Like, yeah. she is quick-witted enough quick thinking enough to say, do you want me to get a Hebrew nurse? And she wasn't frightened of the status, you know, of the princess. You know, she wasn't, she wasn't, uh, you know, Pharaoh's daughter. She wasn't worried about the status. She jumped out, you know, so she's been protecting Moses. She's, you know, she's been there that whole journey, you know, and then, and then as well, when we get our song, you know, we have this woman that's creative and, of life, and you know, you know, speaking, you know, our truth. And so, you think, I mmm, maybe, maybe we, maybe the men who wrote this do not want to celebrate your full part in this story, <laughs> you know. So, but she's uh, a, a wonderful, uh, I think she's just so, so vibrant, you know, when you look between the lines. Well, for,
1: for her to have stuck two brothers, minimum. Um, on who were leaders and precious, and, and of course in that culture men are elevated big time, and she would have had to serve them. And yet the, the the texts tell us that the people loved her. They they rather than move on um, when she was ill. I mean, Aaron asked God asked Moses to intercede on behalf of Miriam to remove the skin disease. Aaron we don't know if he was given the disease or not because he was part of the the complaining yes Uh Um, but but God said no she has to stick it for seven days Um, but the people didn't want to move on in their journey they loved her enough to say let's wait so there were there were leadership qualities there Mm -hmm. And, and I think that's that's the beauty of 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 team leadership you know because Moses can't be right all the time nor can Aaron nor can Miriam And the three of them will bring very different offerings of leadership and styles. And I, I love that the people said, no, we'll wait here for Miriam
0: until she's well. Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, Christine, would you like to add anything else about Miriam before we look at our second
2: um, prophetess? Uh, yes, yeah, just a, a little bit. As I, I said, I'm interested in education. And I did read a little bit that in um, the Midrash, it says that Moses led the men out of Egypt and taught them the Torah, and Miriam led the women and taught them the Torah. And I, I thought that was great, because you don't often yeah. hear about the, about women learning
0: uh-huh.
2: in, the, in the Old mm-hmm. Testament. Mm-hmm. Had you two come across that before, that Miriam as a teacher
0: no i I hadn't oh that's do you know that makes me love it even more (laughs) yes that's that's really lovely
1: and helpful that you said that because Uh we, we think that because um women weren't formally educated they weren't educated at all but there's young mary as a case in point she obviously knew god when when the angel gabriel came to her she was a from a priestly family so of course it it goes along with what you said about Miriam
0: teaching the women it's great Uh and that would actually probably explain as well like part of this like you know the community not wanting to move on without her you know if she's a well respected you know teacher you know within the community um, you know they're not going to want to leave her behind no
1: and you know we don't see anything about Miriam being married no, or having children Uh Uh, some outside sources say she was the mother of Bezalel who was the architect of the tabernacle and she was an ancestor of King David
0: Mm -hmm. and that's exactly that's a really interesting point Linda because if we look if we think about the other two women that we're going to look at they are quite defined in the bible by who they're who they're married to you know yeah. And who their you know sons are.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, but that that's you know, so so it's as if like you know, yes, like Miriam's uh, you know, she's got Moses in on one side and Aaron in the other, but she's a woman in her own right here. You know, she's not defined by who who her husband is or if she's you know produced any children.
1: Yeah.
0: And I love too that this
1: song that she sings is it belongs to other songs like Hannah's song. Like Deborah's song, two of the other prophetesses, um, like Mary's song. And these these are women who are strong women who are offering comments, who are offering praise, who are offering um, insight and wisdom for us to, to follow.
0: Yeah. It. Mm-hmm. Yes. So well we'll have a wee we'll um now move on to our next um our next prophetess, who is Huldah. Um, Christine could you tell us a bit about Huldah please?
2: Okay right Huldah. I didn't know anything about her until you, you gave me the list of names for today so, so this was interesting. I found her in two places in the Bible but both accounts are more or less the same. So there's um, 2 Kings chapter 22 and 2 Chronicles chapter 34. So in 2 Kings Josiah is is trying to rebuild the temple and they come across this document. So his his secretary goes to visit the workmen and they say, oh look, we found this document. So the secretary has a reader to it and he thinks, oh this is really important, I need to show this to the king. So he takes it back and the king reads it and he starts tearing his clothes and and, and, and wailing because he realises that they haven't been following the law, that they have just uncovered the law. So this is like a major event. And so, what does he do? This extremely important thing has happened. He needs advice. So, he gets his advisors and he says, Go and find out what I should do about this. And who do they go to? Yes. Do they go to this big, important man sitting, contemplating someplace? No, they go to a woman who's mentioned here. And as far as we know, she's not mentioned anywhere else. So this is the woman they go to. And they they give her this book and she has a look at it. And and now Linda touched on something before. Did they go to her thinking that she would be this mild, timid woman and say, it'll be okay, I'll sort it all out with God, don't worry. But no, she says, ah, you see, everybody's gone astray nobody's been following this we should all have been doing this well you know what there's going to be punishment now we have to pay for not following this law so she wasn't a soft touch however she did say all of these things won't happen until Josiah has died so Josiah wasn't actually punished because he had shown repentance when he'd found the book and he would said oh no we should have been doing all these things he repented so he wasn't published. I th- uh, punished. I think that's about it in a nutshell. Um, you mentioned one thing, Laura, we know more about her husband than her. We're told that her husband was a shalom and he was in charge of the temple robes. So he is defined by his job. We don't actually know what her job is. Maybe her job was profit. Maybe people were used to going to her and and um we're not told, you know, so it's her actual job, but that's it in a nutshell. I'm sure you two have got <laughs> lots to add. I actually I
0: find it I find it really heartening um that they went to her, you know, and you think, well, this is a woman that's got a, a, a reputation of like you know, being close to the Lord, you know having the wisdom or maybe just having the courage to speak you know that what you know that wisdom um but and so i found that really interesting and it was the the fact that that the as you said christine it was like this is like you know coming from the king you know it's just i find that just amazing you know but but we've only get this wee tiny mention of it but obviously if she has got the ear of important, influential people of the time, she must have been an important person. You know, she's got to have been, you know, otherwise it's just like randomly, you know, just kind of asking somebody for their advice. So there must have been, there must have been like a, a, a some kind of legacy there, you know, that the, the, they know that they're going to get good advice.
1: The, one of the things I read about her was that her husband. Was, as Christine said, the keeper of the wardrobe. And um, therefore, he would have direct access to the king. And um, when you have direct access to the king, you have his ear. And he was a youngster when he came to the throne. He was only eight. Um, and he was 26 when he found the, the scroll was found. And so I think that he, Shalom, may have talked to his, his king about his wife. And also, I read somewhere else that where she lived, she was in what was known as the scholars area. So there's some understanding that she may have been a scholar,
0: mm-hmm. which
1: um, enhanced her reputation as a prophetess. Um, So so there, there may be a wee bit of background as to why she was chosen and not because she was a peer of Jeremiah and Zephaniah. Now, come on, everybody knows particularly Jeremiah um, and some of the crazy things he did. So maybe, <laughs> so maybe, maybe Josiah thought, you know, yeah, I'll go to the woman, I'll go to the she'll be softer. But but interestingly, if a true prophet would not say, Here's what I think, they would say, Here's what I believe God's giving us, God's mm-hmm. telling us. So maybe Jeremiah would have doled out the same punishment on Zephaniah too. But it's quite it's quite curious, you know. And actually, there are gates, you know how all around the city of Jerusalem there, there were gates, and there are gates called the the gates which takes you into the area where the College of, of Scholars was in the the temple area. So maybe maybe she wasn't just um, uh, uh, known for her religious, or I don't like the word religious, but you know what I mean, for her, her intimacy with God. Maybe uh-huh. she was renowned as being a, like Miriam, we said a few minutes ago, mm-hmm. educated the women. Maybe she's standing on the shoulders of Miriam as a wonderful teacher. And there are so many, even today, wonderful scholars, biblical scholars, theological scholars, who are women, who have stood on the shoulders of other women who were never acknowledged or recognized.
0: Uh-huh.
1: So, I mean, it seems to me that, that Hulda, Hulda was an incredibly, incredibly wise, wise woman. Um, and her name, I was looking up her, the meaning of her name and there's two meanings. One is to continue or to abide. And that I think is a lovely understanding of her name, because in the face of perhaps dismissal by by male scholars or priests or or Pharisees, whatever, she she continued to be faithful with the prophetic word and with her teaching. But then the other side of the coin is her name can mean weasel, and yeah, some some of the stuff I was reading in Midrash was saying that they named her that because. it was an insult to her because when Josiah sent his his little team along to consult her, she was disrespectful to Josiah, and instead of saying, "Tell the king," she said, "Tell that man." And I suppose it depends on what her tone of voice was. "Tell that <laughs> man, that man, that excuse of a human being," you know? And, you know. They nicknamed her Hulda because it was she's a weasel, you know. Oh, I mean, you don't know. I mean, uh-huh. we're, we're again we're speculating. You pay uh-huh. your money your choice, don't you? And, and I also read that, well, Jeremiah um, prophesied in the marketplace to whosoever, and Zephaniah prophesied in the synagogues, Huldah um, prophesied to the women. So there again, this pattern, um, women for women, men for men. I, I don't know, you tell uh-huh. me. Uh-huh.
2: Well I picked up on what you said Linda about the tell that man so in my translation it says uh, it does mean it does say the king tell that king tell the king but in the NIV it had said tell that man so I picked up on that as well but I didn't know about the weasel thing I just thought that she was someone they respected and that she she didn't think herself above the king but mm-hmm. she thought necessarily but she thought well we're all the we're all the same. She didn't treat him any differently, so mm-hmm. she was going to be as honest to him as she would be to anybody. That's that's how I read it. But I didn't know about the weasel thing at that time.
1: That uh, uh, <laughs> that was just a wee thing from the midrash, and it's wonderful to read all these extra stories and that have been woven around um, a text, a brief text. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think it, it's easy for us to. I say this all over and over again. I'm like a broken record. We impose. So much upon the text. And my old um Hebrew guy um, used to say, All you have is a text, all you mm-hmm. have is a text. And I think that we have caused wars and had crusades by what we've imposed upon the text. Yes. And it's really important that when we do add and subtract and weave, because I, I love like you, I, I retell Bible stories. and I, I love doing that. And I think we just need to be very conscious. Um, that this is a weaving or this is an imposition, and, and ask the Spirit of God to, to um, help us in our reframing or our understanding or our exegeting. Help us to uh, be open and to accept it if we've gone too far or, and, and correct it, you know, just mm-hmm. to be wise with Scripture. Because um, I think people use it as a big stick to beat us with or as a, a measuring ruler. You can't go over this or past that or beyond the other, and and yet the spirit of God clearly knows no no boundaries, you know, and yeah, and defies defies culture by having someone like Huldah offer the wisdom that God has given her to this young man, this young king, who who what she said did come true. He was killed at Megiddo a few years later, wasn't he, in battle uh-huh. against yeah. the so that's mm-hmm. fascinating stuff.
0: Yeah, it really is. It's just uh, and and do you know? It, like I had never really until until today. Well, until I had like you know before we were preparing for this, I hadn't really thought much about Hilda. But I find myself actually since you know kind of exploring her, you know, really, you know, thinking, ah, oh, actually making me really think about the other women that we only get these wee snapshots of you know, and just be like it's oh, just widening actually reframing like how I how I view them within you know the scripture. Um and so it's lovely just to it's like you know the, the like Miriam and Hilda they might have been teachers for uh like women in the their day but it's like they're still teaching yeah. them. <laughs>
1: it's wonderful. Yeah I love it. I love it. I love that we've so much still to unpick and unlearn and learn from from their wisdom and their insight and from often what's not said as yes. well as what's said, you know. Uh-huh. Again, the history writers, isn't
0: it? Yes. Uh-huh. So um, we we can um look at our third uh, prophetess, who is Abigail. So Linda, can you tell us a wee bit about Abigail?
1: Yes, Abigail was um, married to a man whose name means fool, Nabal. And when David was in hiding in the wilderness uh, from King Saul, he was he was anointed king. But remember, he was in the hiding for about seven years because Saul was trying to kill him, and he had his, his army around him. And from the story of Abig, you'll be learning about six hundred warriors with him at this point. And Nabal was a, a a rich farmer, and he had his men shearing sheep and looking after the sheep near where David was in hiding. And of course, it's easy to steal sheep and cook them and have your dinner, but David wouldn't allow his men to touch the sheep or the shearers and offered protection. And there's, you know, the wilderness is a place where there's robbers and and highways and byways where you can be just taken advantage of. But David protected Nabal's men. And then it came time for feasting, a celebration, and David sent word to Nabal saying, look, come on, we looked after you, you look after us send us some food, give us a couple of sheep, we'll, we'll cook ourselves a meal, and of course Nabal said to, his, to David's men, get a grip, who do you think you are, you're a nobody, and, and it's interesting the way it's all written in Hebrew, that he's questioning David's authority, David's a nobody, but really David's the king, the true king, and mm-hmm. so Nabal sends them away with a flea in their ear, they go back to David, And David, of course, he's he's rightly upset and annoyed. So he gathers 400 of his men, leaves 200 behind with the the belongings that they have at the camp and the women and the children, and and then heads out. And it's interesting, too, because he says, gird up your sword. Now, the the Hebrew word there for for girding up means strap it to your leg three times, which indicates that they're going into a rough battle. There's going to be moving and jostling. And so they they need the sword to be safe and strapped securely. Mm-hmm. But meanwhile, while they're doing all this, one of Nabal's servants goes to Abigail and says to Abigail, here's what's happened. Now David's coming to kill us. So Abigail is renowned for her wisdom. She's also was renowned for her intelligence and her beauty. So she gathers a few of the servants together and puts together a picnic on mammoth of mammoth proportions and goes out on a donkey, which is significant to you, I think, because when you're on a donkey, as opposed to a, a horse, the horse is a sign that you're coming to great battle. The donkey is a sign that you're coming in peace. So Abigail comes out and meets David and bows down low to him, run, gets off the donkey and runs to him, the text says. Um, and it's in 1 Samuel 25, if anybody's interested. And she bows down low and says, look, I'm really sorry. Just like my husband's name, he is a fool. He's well named. Forgive us. Here's a feast. Uh, don't 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 kill us. Don't kill it. Don't kill him. He's a halfwit. And of course, David is taken with her beauty, <laughs> and her intelligence and wisdom. Um, and he listens to her. And he says, "Okay, then we'll have a feast." Should you go away back safe and sound. She go, goes back and says to her husband, "By the way, pal, he was drunk, so she didn't speak to him till the next day." By the way, pal, you've have just saved your bacon here. And David's not going to come after us. You have no clue what you've done. And the text says he turned like a stone Mm -hmm. and then took to his bed and died 10 days later. David heard about this and remembered, oh, she's beautiful. She's clever. Um, And she basically, he sends one of his courtiers to her and says, come on, let me court you and be my new wife. And the thing is, Abigail um, would have inherited Nabal's wealth all that he had, so she would have been very rich in her own right. She was; she had five handmaids. That tells you she was a person of status and affluence. Mm-hmm. So it's it's very interesting, you know, that these two, because uh, David, of course, was renowned for his his handsomeness as well, wasn't it? Yeah. These two uh, attractive people come together and and produce uh, a marriage.
0: So right. that, that's it in a nutshell. Uh-huh. I don't
1: think we missed anything.
0: Mm-hmm. So Christine, what's your impression of uh, of uh, Abigail's actions, you know, about her growing and doing this?
2: Well, um, Linda said uh, a lot of the things that I thought. What struck me most was her diplomacy. She was able to, as you say, go on a donkey and she went out on her own. She didn't take her five handmaids with her. So she went out on her own to meet David. And apologise, and I think she she lay down, didn't she? So she prostrated herself uh, to show real humility. And um, but I did wonder, was she really humble, or was she very <laughs> diplomatic and canny? Uh, now we we may never know, but I saw a lot of David's attributes in her they're both intelligent, they're both good looking, they're both diplomatic. She had authority in her household. So it was her husband's servant came and went, you'll never guess what your husband has done now. And she sent her husband's servants to to David with this big picnic, as Linda called it. So she had authority in her household. So we imagine women as as not having much say in that time in history but she did have a lot of say in her little world so her and david were very well matched so i am inclined to think well he was a bit devious was she being devious here does it matter which she was but but those were my main thoughts laura
0: yeah, I thought that she was actually probably... I thought she was... Um, I I thought she was very smart, <laughs> you know, really think like, how am I going to win this guy over, you know? How can we stop this? And also, I read somewhere about how it's like a kind of reversal against, um, you know, with the story of uh, Bathsheba and her husband. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so... <laughs> you Know David comes out really well, you know, in this story. Oh, yeah, I mean he, he comes out really well. He's
1: one minute he's I'm assuming he'd be dirt poor living in the wilderness begging for food if he's asking for a couple of sheep, but then right. he gets he gets Abigail to be his wife and she has all the, the wealth and inheritance of Nabal. So, yes. You know, a bit of canniness in both of them, there isn't there. Yes, yeah. uh-huh. There,
0: there really is. And it's um it's and and like but she she does uh see say that you know he's the true king. Yes, you know, uh huh, you know, and As I think that, she realizes he's anointed of God. Mm-hmm, um, yeah, and that must have that must have been common knowledge around the, the parts. You know, understand? Ha. Uh-huh. I because I had thought that that was that was an a, an interesting point. Because I'm thinking that is this is she being like guided in this, or is this like a rumor? You know that you know, and it's like, well, we need to get on side with this guy. I my baby
2: I, I looked at that as well, Laura, because I wasn't sure why she was a prophet. I wasn't sure what made her a prophet. So do her words to David, do they uh, echo or are they a precursor to what Nathan's prophecy was in 2 Samuel? That, that's I, I found that when I was looking, of why is she there as a prophet? Uh-huh. So she she was saying things about his future kingship yes which was similar to what Nathan said in mm-hmm. 2 Samuel 7
1: mm-hmm. and it's i think also when you look at the the root for the Hebrew for the word prophet is, is to bubble up um and so at, when she was talking to him i got a sense of her the words bubbling up out of her and when she acknowledges who he is um and when she acknowledges that he To your husband, who David is, Uh, there's a. Often we think prophecy is telling the future, but it's it's not. It's it's telling. We're compelled to tell what God has told us. So uh, for her to recognise David as as the king and and his future reign and his intimacy with God, I think that's partly why they call her, the prophet. So thank you're right.
0: Thanks for that, Christine. Mm Yeah. Because as well, it's like. that's that way that you think. I actually like the idea of bubbling as well. You know, so you think it, it, it kind of softens your kindness. You know, you, be, you know, so that you don't think cynically of her, You yeah. know, like well, we're just trying to preserve ourselves. We, we need to get in with this guy. Um, it's like you know, it, you can um, if she, if she's bubbling with a lot. You know, she's been guided. You know, by God, guided to do this. And and it it does make you then be like ah, aye, that's actually really lovely isn't it It's just she's she's following following God's lead and that gives her the courage then you know to go out there and do that, mm-hmm.
1: and, and I think um, just a one one final point. Abigail, that's the term for servant, isn't it? Nice. And, yes. and and here mm-hmm. whenever in the olden days, oh I'm an Abigail, and it comes from her her um, self-effacing nature, where she served her boorish, foolish husband, and did it with grace and dignity and intelligence. And I love that she didn't allow his treatment of her to define who she was, and that she remained a strong woman. She remained uh, an insightful, intelligent woman who listened for God, and Uh who delivered delivered
0: the words Uh of God. And that, again, that King and let's see that actually, maybe there, she was a woman of integrity. Then you know, by not allowing, you know, because you think if if he was really that awful, you'd be like, oh, let just just let David do what he wants me, <laughs> just let David him. do what he wants, <laughs> and then I'll be free of him, and uh, I uh, So so there's an integrity there, isn't there? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, we've managed to make it through the three of our uh, prophetesses. And before we finish, um, we'll have a wee think about um, some modern, um, (coughs) what's happening just now. And something that we were all struck by um, was something that uh, Nicola Sturgeon said. And it was, as as listeners know, that uh, we do like a wee bit of uh, Nicola um, here at Time of the Month. (laughs) We love her. <laughs> we really do. <laughs> and what it said was that the world would be a better place if women ruled it. Now, I don't know about that. What, what's your What's your thinking, there, ladies? What's your thinking on what Nicola said?
2: I think that the generally the feminine side of people, and it can be a feminine side of men as well. It's this nurturing idea and that's probably where Nicola's coming from because women are are thought of as, or female attributes are as the nurturing and the, like if a child falls, they tend to run to mummy, I'm I'm generalising but they tend to run to mummy because mummy's soft and, and mummy will make all the comforting noises. I know daddies do that too, but um, I'm generalising. And I think that's where Nicola's coming from. But my immediate reaction when Laura said that, I was thinking about people in history like Catherine <sighs> and Michi, who caused, I think, probably more bloodshed than a lot of other nice. men ruler. So I might say it's maybe more a power thing, than a male or female thing but Uh it'd be interesting to talk about it more and get more examples
0: Uh uh-huh I actually just think that Catherine Medici there uh that just you know a lot of what she did well she would have uh, said that that was you know she was protecting you know the the crown for for her sons (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know it's like uh, the nurturer gone gone wild (laughs) yeah yeah. I think there is something there about power, you know, because yeah. um, if you think about, I don't know, I've probably raised this before. I mean, watching um, the, uh, now, what was it? The, the, a series, it was a, a series about, no, it was on The Crown um, with uh, Margaret Thatcher. And she's, you know, got the, she's got up some of the cabinet, you know, for a meeting. And then she's away, you know, making them their dinner, you know, and all the rest. And you're thinking, Oh, it's like, uh, it's like power mummy here, you know. (laughs) Angela. Mm
1: -hmm. Angela Merkel. Mm. I absolutely agree. I I think that we need to be encouraging um, men to display more openly and more often their nurturing side. Lots of beautiful nurturing men. um, And I think that um, that's a role that we need to be um, facilitating more uh, I think that power, I see a lot of women in the church who are power crazed mm-hmm. and it's scary and I see women in. I, I used to be a social worker and I saw a lot of uh, lead social workers who were women and, and their abuse of power was frightening too. And I think Christine hit the nail right on the head. It's It's less about male and female and more about how we are with power ourselves and how we allow power to be made manifest in us and how we nurture people in our positions of power be that as mother as friend as minister as teacher as reader whatever because particularly in our position people will listen to us and christine mm-hmm. when you become a reader you you will have a, an authority conveyed upon you that is not i don't carry my authority lightly and a lot of people I think take it for granted and and carry it lightly. Just don't don't fall into the the, the mistake of thinking that uh, as a, a official an official in the church, you're right all the time, and your way is the, the only way and the best way. And I think it's really important for congregations to take responsibility for the power they have too, and not. Um, not say, Oh, you're a minister, you're in charge. I don't think so. How can one person's wisdom be better than the wisdom of a congregation? On occasion, yeah, but for the most part, the expertise perceived expertise of one person is not greater than the wisdom of the group. And I think that we, we women need to um, be careful how we use our power because we, we. I think in our culture, well, children will come to us first. They will. And that's how we use that power, because that is a power. Um, it's a superpower, you know, that the children will come to us. But um, I think Nicola, I, I love Nicola Sturgeon. Whether you agree or disagree with her politics is irrelevant. But I think she's a nurturing person. And and I do see, sometimes I watch her in the, the you know, in the, the debating chamber. And sometimes I think, oh, that was hard, Nicola. That was hard. And then and then I think, ah, if she didn't fire those wee darts every so often, then steamroller her. And I don't know yeah. if that comes naturally to her.
0: Mm-hmm. But, but
1: power mm-hmm. is power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely, isn't that what they say?
0: Yeah, I I think so. And it's about having it's about having that integrity, you know, yeah. to, to see the to see the the bigger picture. Yeah. And and use your, uh, like like the, I'm I'm actually thinking about Abigail here, you know, you know, yeah. using, you know, using your your gifts, but actually for not just for, for the benefit uh but for all, you know, and um, but uh, yeah, definitely it's uh, and I
1: suppose it's how we define power. I mean, I think about the power of the women at the cross. It wasn't a big song and dance, a big, you know, let's. Oh, that shoot, or kill them. That's do violence. It was uh-huh. a humility of waiting for their Lord.
0: Yeah, the, that the presence wasn't it just being yeah, present. Yeah, so their their power was very
1: different to the power that Peter wanted to when he cut off the the ear of the, the slave in the Garden of Gethsemane. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think it's, it's how we're we're viewing power, presenting power, embracing it, and and modeling it because power can be modeled and remodeled. Um, and I think it's important, especially women we we challenge power and and the what's the word the mold yeah of what power is
0: you know? uh-huh i I think that that's, that's really important you know that I myself you know from coming from the business world know like so many women that felt that they had to be aggressive felt that they had to you know they would throw they would throw you under the bus you yeah. know for, for their own gain men and shirts yeah and it's so you think but but you know what about standing together what about us working yeah. together yeah. and supporting each other and encouraging each other nope you know it's no we'll throw you under the bus and that's where you know i think we need to really think about what is power and the responsibility that it that entails and how we'll lead and in an inclusive way, and that, uh, you know, really, and, and is compassionate. Mm-hmm. I think, too, like Mary Magdalene,
1: she was subversive in how she used power, you know, and I think of, of Bridget, who was the abbess of the um, male-female, um, what do you call a male-female monastery and Nunnery, whatever it was called, uh, that, that community. Uh-huh. Of, Followers of Christ Jesus, she Uh was the leader of the men and the women. And that's a whole other story, but she held her power beautifully. You know, Mm -hmm. and and I think of Julian of Norwich and how she held her her power was immense. And throughout history, we see women who held their power differently to the way maybe a lot of women do today Mm -hmm. and weren't afraid to to subvert the systems. Um, Could you imagine if if the women in our church stood together? and subverted the power bases to the church of Scotland.
0: <laughs> oh, I know what would happen. <laughs> oh, I think we've got so much to learn from um, those who have, you know, gone before us, you know, it's a, uh, uh-huh. so thank you so much um, for joining today. And this has been a really interesting discussion and thanks to our listeners um, for, for, tuning in and listening to us um and christine you are an avid listener and so how's the experience been for you being part
2: of the podcast well i really enjoy the the different people that you bring in i like you too as well don't get me wrong i really i really enjoy that you that you look out and you bring in people from really different backgrounds with different perspectives on things so it's Mm. it's it's really nice
0: Aye, oh, that's great. Well, thank you for coming in and um, sharing your thoughts with us. You've really blessed us um, today. You really have, and given
2: us lots to think about. Thanks so much for having me.
0: And if anybody
1: else wants to come and join us, give give Laura a wee shout or give myself a wee shout. You're most most
0: welcome. And Christine, we'll have you back in a few months' time. Yes, definitely. Uh
2: Thanks.
0: Uh, so everyone thank you so much um for joining with us today myself and linda will be back again in a month's time talking about some more of our prophetesses um and uh, we will uh, yep we'll be back then and we we'll look forward to joining with you all and until then take care and happy listening see
2: ya bye